earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you in your car, at home, elsewhere on your mobile device, catching the podcast? Friends, today is the first installment in a new series I'm calling Faith's Fundamentals, Building a Solid Belief System. My hope is to equip us Christ followers, according to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. I'll be devoting the first few installments to helping us grasp and communicate to others one of the most critical and important doctrines of our historic Judeo-Christian faith. And I have discovered over nearly 30 years of pastoral ministry that despite the importance and criticalness of this doctrine, too many Christ followers cannot explain nor communicate the significance of this doctrine in the grand scheme of things. This doctrine is known as the triunity of the nature of God, or more commonly, the doctrine of the Trinity. And friends, please don't change the station or turn the program off. Please don't assume these will be dry and lifeless lessons. I promise you, They'll be very much alive and very satisfying to the health of your soul. You really won't want to miss these spiritually rich mocha frappuccinos. I think back to the time of one of my early pastorates. I was just learning to interpret the menu at Starbucks. My church secretary got me hooked on frappuccinos and particularly mocha frappuccinos. Waiting at Starbucks one morning to accompany my bagel and cream cheese as the barista was concocting my sweet delicacy, my mocha frappuccino, I scrutinized the menu to educate myself. What an array of strangely named menu items. The coffee world had become a new world for me. I thought to myself, I have to learn a second language just to purchase a cup of coffee and not feel like an idiot. I actually never knew what a frappuccino was before this, but there it was on the menu next to cafe latte. I still don't know what that is. Cafe mocha, cappuccino, caramel macchiato, tazzo berry tea. I'm not sure that's on the menu anymore. The writer and co-editor of the Notes in the Life Promises Bible, William Crudener, called these coffee bars modern caffeinated carnivals. Friends, society in general and Western culture, particularly Americans, have grown accustomed to having many choices, not just coffees, but in most areas of life, electronics, cars, appliances, furnishings, the list goes on. At my wife's first job in Arizona, I remember her telling me her boss insisted on owning designer sheets and pillowcases. They were a must for him. 
Well, friends, I find it interesting that this freedom of choices has bled over into the religious or spiritual sphere of life. Have you noted how spiritual and spirituality have become buzzwords these days? Remember real brick-and-mortar bookstores? I think there may be one or two left since the boon to move to internet shopping. I'll bet there's still some of you out there who remember Borders Books, Walden Books, Brentano's, or even Christian bookstores like Lord's Vineyard, Cokesbury, Bereans, Family Christian Store, Crossroads, to name a handful. And friends, remember Borders and the still-standing-now Barnes & Noble cafes? Borders even had live entertainment on weekends. Who remembers that? Well, the menu, if you will, in the religious sections of both mainline and online bookstores is a lot like the menu at the coffee bars. All sorts of sometimes unfamiliar and strange-sounding items, like transcendental meditation, Christian science, Dianetics and Scientology, Hinduism, Nikrin Shoshu Buddhism, Taoism, Baha'i, Spiritism, Magic, Satanism, Krishna, Karma, Nirvana, Paths to Enlightenment. That list is endless, too. I've even heard Christians from different denominations say to each other, What flavor are you? You know, I'm a Frappuccino or I'm a Mocha. Well, friends, this carnival of religious choices has manifested itself more openly in our times under the banner of tolerance. Not only cultural tolerance, which brought us the term multiculturalism, but also religious tolerance, which, sadly, has actually come to mean tolerance for every point of view except Christianity's. Now, I want to make it clear up front, friends, as we embark upon this new journey, that I believe we should allow for people's various beliefs and, to the best of our ability, learn as much as we can about the similarities and differences between other faiths and our Christian faith. After all, we certainly have an example and a mentor in the Apostle Paul. In Acts 17, when he was in Athens, we learn that he was very well acquainted with the religions and philosophies of his day, even to the point of being well-read in their own literature, so he could intelligently dialogue with them and even quote their writers. In fact, let's place our magnifying glass over a few portions of Acts 17, between verses 16 and 34. Verse 15 reminds us Paul was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens, so he intentionally strolled around and familiarized himself with the various religious idols of the Athenians. We also find out that Paul took time and visited the synagogue there with both Jews and God-fearing pagans, and he went to the marketplace daily and conversed with those who happened to be there. Among those hanging around at the marketplace were some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, friends, I'd like us to see how these philosophers treated Paul, verbally, that is. Verse 18 says, and I quote, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were disputing with him. Some were saying, What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, He seems to be proclaiming strange deities. 
because Paul was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So let me just say here that the word disputing may mean conversing, but also deliberating, attacking, with or without hostile intent. But it sure seems to me, based on what they called Paul, an idle babbler, which meant a seed picker, or one who picks up scraps of knowledge, a gossiper, one who, like a bird, forages around for seeds, that this was not just an even-handed conversation. This word also carries with it the idea of people lounging around the marketplace and picking up food scraps from what falls from a load of merchandise. It can also mean an empty talker and beggarly. Now, I say all this, friends, so that we as Christ followers always have the verbal demeanor outlined for us in 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. And that means an intelligent or well-reasoned argument to everyone who asks you to give an account. And that means a word, a statement, or speech for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. And Proverbs 15:23 advises us, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, friends, let's note just how Paul responded to these curious and somewhat caustic philosophers. They invited him from the marketplace to a location called the Rocky Hill of Ares, or as in many Bibles, the Areopagus. Ares was the Greek god of war. It was also called Mars Hill after the Roman equivalent. So Paul straightforwardly yet tactfully begins his speech at verse 22. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And this use of religious by Paul is meant as a compliment. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Paul's use of ignorant here is not a slam. This word simply means what you don't know. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Notice, Paul was straightforward, yet he was tactful, and he recognized stepping stones to belief. He continues, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations. And nations here is the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnic groups, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Paul then goes on, God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Shortly after that, Paul says, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. And again, Paul is using ignorance purely in the sense of not having knowledge. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
Do you hear the subtle proclamation of the gospel here? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Notice Paul's use of the man, the man God has appointed. And raising him from the dead points directly to Jesus Christ, even though Paul doesn't mention Jesus' name. Well, notice the outcome. Verses 32 through 34 tell us that while some sneered, some did believe and became Paul's followers. Now, friends, there's something I'd like us all to recognize here. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from the other belief systems in the religious coffee bar menu, if you will. Christianity sure makes some very strong claims, doesn't it? Christianity never saw itself as just one of the Frappuccinos, say, the Mocha Frappuccino. Right from the beginning, Christianity recognized that something unique and verifiable set it apart, even from its own predecessor, Judaism, as well as the Greek mystery religions and the garden-variety pagan idol worship of the day. And Paul tells us what that unique and verifiable event was— the physical or bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Recall verse 31. He, God, has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. And for now, friends, the key to understanding the significant difference between Christianity and other religious systems is this. Christianity is a revealed religion and not a conceived religion. And I'm in no way slighting or showing disrespect to the other religions. I just want us to see that Judeo-Christianity is a revealed religion. It's interesting that not one page of the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 ever hints at the notion that the writers came up with the things they spoke of. In other words, these were their own ideas. In fact, over and over it's stated and reinforced that what the proclaimers of the Judeo-Christian belief system testified to was what had been revealed to them from the one true and living God. So today's part one is the God who reveals himself. Deuteronomy 29, 29 states, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Psalm 98, 2 says, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Psalm 16.11 tells us, You, Lord, have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In theology, this is called the divine self-disclosure. It just means that God himself took the initiative and revealed himself and his plan of redemption to all humankind. Section of Romans chapter 1, 16 through 32 ties in here. In verse 16, Paul begins, I am not ashamed of the gospel or good news because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In other words, everyone else, all humankind. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. 
Then Paul goes on, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what is known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Another way this can be said is, God has made it evident in or within them. This is supported by Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, He, God, has set eternity in the human heart. And set also means put or placed or planted. Bible commentator Larry Richards makes an excellent observation concerning this section in Romans. He says, All humankind has been given a revelation of God in and through his creation. Even more, God has shaped humanity so that this revelation is understood. The universe is God's transmitter. Now, notice verses 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Larry Richards goes on to comment, Humanity was created with built-in radios, pre-tuned to its creation's wavelength, yet we willfully turned down the volume, suppressing God's message and pretending not to recognize him in his handiwork. Paul rightly concludes that people are without excuse. Friends, this is not a cruel trick on God's part. It just means that God has allowed our free will to remain intact. In Romans 1, 24 through 30, it is stated three times that God gave us over or handed or turned us over to our own desires and in a sense allowed us to receive the just judgment of our own behaviors. Friends, if Ecclesiastes tells us that God placed eternity in our hearts, is it any wonder that we human beings have a curiosity about what happens after this life? Isn't it amazing that our Judeo-Christian scriptures have told us that God himself has placed within us an introductory revelation, if you will, of himself? In the opening verses of his gospel, the Apostle John makes a few extremely valuable statements. In him, Christ, was life, and the life was the light of all humankind. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens everyone. We could even say that inside us is a spiritual light bulb that is illuminating us to the existence of the one true God. But we have the freedom to turn off the switch, and many of us have done just that. Now, friends, certainly one of the greatest revealed truths to humanity is the nature and attributes of God. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 1, 1 through 3, we find these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the Hebrew prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, a reference to Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Then in Hebrews 2, 3 through 4, we read, This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, the will of the Holy Spirit. Friends, let me reiterate something I began with in this study, that sadly many of us Christ followers are ill-equipped to know and understand the triunity of the nature of God. This unique and fundamental doctrine of the Judeo-Christian belief system is precisely what distinguishes it from every other world religion. And yet I propose that most of us can't even describe it, let alone properly interpret it. And let me say this, friends, it's not your fault entirely. Think of how long you've sat in your local church and tell me, have you ever heard a sermon or a class on the doctrine of the Trinity? On this doctrine that sets us apart from every other religion on the globe? Friends, today I want to ask a thought-provoking question. Why does it matter that we believe in the Trinity? And along with this, what difference does it make? Or what's the big deal anyway? Well, here are some thought-provoking answers. First, if we are not clear about the relationship between God the Father and Jesus Christ, how can we understand the New Testament, particularly the claims of Christ? Second, if we are not clear about the relationship between God the Father and the Holy Spirit, how can we understand victorious prayer and the presence of God within each of us who believe? Third, if our own view of God is not more than simply mysterious, then why should we be concerned about the strange views of the cults or even some Christian groups whose beliefs in certain areas are unorthodox or contradict historic Christian declarations concerning the true nature of God? Fourth, Failure to believe in the biblical revelation of the Trinity leads to false views about who God is. This, in turn, can lead to rejecting the one true God and worshiping a false God. Fifth, all the persons of the Godhead are focused on restoring our relationship with God. It's not as if the Father is the stern one, Jesus is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit is the mysterious one. All three are engaged in bringing us back to God. Sixth, God the Father had it in his heart to provide a way for humanity to be forgiven of sin. God the Father authored the plan of salvation. God the Son, Jesus, while fully God, submitted to the Father's plan. As the sacrifice for our sin, Jesus Christ accomplished the plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit, just as much God as the Father and the Son, is at work in the lives of those who have chosen to follow God. The Holy Spirit applies the plan of salvation to the believers' lives. Friends, the desire to snuff out the doctrine of the nature of God is intense, and it's subtle, because the Judeo-Christian belief system is unique 
and distinct from all other world religions and the aberrant Christian sects out there. So let's be motivated to acquire at least a good working knowledge of this fundamental doctrine. Believe it or not, the Trinity is actually a Jewish revelation, even if the Hebrew authors didn't fully grasp what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them. But to the discerning eye and the observant reader of Scripture, the Trinity can be found in the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament. Friends, the Trinity is implicit in the Old Testament and explicit in the New. Therefore, our present understanding is not contrived or forced upon the biblical text. More on this next time. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program. I hope this study will whet your appetite to know and better understand the fundamental doctrines we cherish. There's great spiritual food waiting for us on this journey. Let's arm ourselves against the false teachings infiltrating our churches. And let's deepen our knowledge and understanding of the historic beliefs being eroded in the religious marketplace. Christians are actually being branded terrorists. A listener recently wrote in regarding our last series, Touching Others, with, Thanks for sharing and encouraging with your words and examples. Hugs. Thanks for those uplifting words. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear how this program is blessing you. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word support team. Ask me for the details. Thanks to you who help keep this program on the air. During these crazy times, I hope you're being encouraged and sustained. Remember that the podcasts are available at faithtalk1360.com. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.